Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, our story comes from North Dakota. Savannah Schmidt is an adoptive mother and also has a farm. Her and her husband are grain farmers. They're raising wheat and soybeans. And I'm going to be honest, I had her on the show because I think that having a farm is fascinating. Savannah, welcome. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be here. Hey, how did you hear about Adoption Now? Well, when we were starting to think about creating our family, I was trying to find every podcast I could listen to um, on the topic, and yours was one of my favorites. And I just, just through a search, I found you, and I will say I listened to a lot of your episodes in the cab of my combine. I even say that there's certain waterways that I'll edge now that I'll think back to stories where someone got their call and I heard about it going through like a certain waterway. So I've been a longtime listener. Oh, I love that. Adoption Now is a part of your farm. It is. It is. I can tell you which episodes I was listening to in which field. I think that is so incredible. I want to know more about your farm before we talk about adoption. Everyone's like, April, this is not a farm (laughs) podcast. But tell me about what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, So um, we farm um, kind of alongside of my husband's dad. Um, We have separate you know, land, but we kind of go out together kind of as a family during harvest. Um, my husband runs the trucks and my father-in-law is in the big combine. I'm in the little combine and my mother-in-law is in the grain cart. And sometimes we have the kids with, and um, it really is probably as awesome as you think it is. The hours are very long. It's a really mm. weird schedule. <laughs> and so planting and harvest gets a little bit grueling, but there is something about being in the wide open space and you get to look out all your windows and watch everything come up. And um, it has been really lovely. You grew up like this, right? Well, we moved off of my family's farm when I was five. And so we actually moved to a few different rural towns in North Dakota. It was first when I was 16 that we moved to this town, Hazleton, where I met my husband. And so he had been farming since 2008. And then we got married in 2011. And I became the farm wife at that point. Okay, let's talk about how you went from farm wife to adoptive mom. Yes, for sure. So we um, we had actually talked about adoption briefly before we were married. Like if we'd ever have a hard time, we would maybe just jump right into adoption. We both liked that idea. And my husband, Nate, likes to say God called our bluff at that point because when we did start trying, oh, a couple years after being married, um, we did lose our first pregnancy and then we started to try again and it just wasn't happening for us at that point. And I kind of found myself getting panicky really quick. Um, Like I had waited for a few years patiently and now I was ready for a baby and we couldn't make one. And um, I got desperate right away. There was no patience on, on my part at all. And I was driving to Bismarck, which is like an hour from us. It's our nearest big town. And I heard an ad on the radio for foster parents. They were, you know, encouraging people to sign up to become foster parents because there was a real need. And I didn't know a whole lot about foster care at that time, but I was hearing there are babies that need a home. And I was thinking our home needs a baby and this is perfect. Mm -hmm. And my, my husband wasn't quite as sure that that was like the route we should dive into. But um, 
I just couldn't let it go, and he could see that. And so he agreed, and we got licensed to foster um, probably, oh, it was less than a year from, you know, our, our, our miscarriage. And we were we are in a small county, and there's not a lot of kids in care in our county. So after we got licensed, we actually didn't get a call right away. We actually waited months and months, which was adding to my anxiety a little bit. And I started to call the big county and remind them that, hey, we're here, you know, like you can just transfer one over to us, you know, like we have a, we have a nursery waiting, you know, and um, I was trying to keep myself sane. I'd learned to knit, you know, (laughs) and I was sitting there knitting one day and I just finished my first baby hat and the call finally came and they said, we have a four day old baby girl here still at the hospital and we're planning to remove her tomorrow. And they had told me that both parents struggled with like developmental disabilities and their previous children had been removed. And this baby was going to have some needs. Her brain scan had come back abnormal and there was going to be feeding issues and her older sister had special needs. And there was just a list, a list of things. And um, they're like, do you want her? And I'm like, yes, of course I want her. And my husband's like, okay, if that's what you want. (laughs) And so I remember going to bed that night and I did not expect the amount of mixed feelings I would have with that because I was really grieving for her mother who did not know that the next day her baby was going to be taken. And mm. then also I was so excited for myself, but that, that conflict um, in my heart between grief for her and joy for me kind of has persisted ever since, you know, that that's just kind of always there because it is always sad when a biological parent doesn't get to parent for whatever reason. But the next day, I was on cloud nine again, drove my hour to Bismarck, walked in with my carrier. I had all my baby stuff ready long before I got this call. And they just handed me this baby and they're like, good luck. And they didn't check my ID. I didn't sign anything. I'm I'm like just walking out, put the baby in the car, drove back to Hazleton feeling like I stole this kid. I'm like, how I like they entrusted me with this brand new baby. And my husband and I just sat and stared at her for like 48 hours and complete disbelief that she was real it's just it's sudden when it's sudden you wait for so long and you think you're so prepared and then then you get the baby and then you're just like oh they're they're really here you know yes yes I know like we don't know what to do and was she medically fragile did she have a feeding tube she did not have a feeding tube the only thing we had to do is take her back two weeks later to have an MRI on her brain because she had had that abnormal brain scan but the the brain the MRI came back clear Um, We did have significant feeding issues with her, though. I I had stopped working at that time, and I was just at home full-time taking care of this baby. I was as happy as could be, even though it was exhausting. She was taking, like, a half ounce at a time, and I would log it, and sometimes I was, like, 19, 20 feedings a day. It's all I would do. She would just throw it all up, you know, and they had told me that she would have had to have a feeding tube had I not just been there constantly working on that with her but I I was so in love with her just right away Um, my husband says I imprinted on her like from the get-go you couldn't tell me she wasn't perfect looking back at her baby pictures now I'm like oh you know like I can definitely see she had a a microcephaly diagnosis which it was mild but it definitely was more pronounced when she was a baby when I realized how serious it could be was when I had taken her in for like a nine-month checkup And the doctor called the nurses in to look at this baby and they all started crying Mm. and they said they could not believe 
that she looked as good as she did. And I didn't realize how low their expectations for her were until that point, because I was just happily going along. I have the perfect baby. Everything is fine. <laughs> I did not know the risks or dangers that even came along with that diagnosis. Um, you know, I, I just, she was perfect, you know, and they're like, no, <laughs> we did not expect it to look like this at all. So it really was, they they said it was a miracle. The The doctor and nurses actually called her a miracle because they did not expect they had told me she'd have significant special needs but they hadn't really gone into what any of that would mean and I, I really didn't ask I was just like they finally called me and that, that was all that really mattered to me at that point so you are the sweetest you know what I can honestly say with a hundred percent confidence I have the nicest most caring and loving listeners ever Every person that has written in their story and I have pre-interviewed are so filled with grace and servanthood and just overflowing with kindness. I mean, you are just amazing. You're just so positive. And I love that about you because you just went into it and you just wanted to love the baby. I cannot imagine trying to feed a baby 20 times a day. Weren't you exhausted? I remember saying if I can get a combined total of four hours of sleep in the night, it is like, I feel like a person again, but that didn't happen very often. So it was like a special treat to get a combined four hours. And then she had a lot of appointments and everything was an hour away. So then you're traveling, you know, two hours round trip for visits and doctor's appointments and all of that too. So it was, it was grueling. I think I was in a good place for it because I had so desperately been wanting to care for a baby that it was a good match for us, you know, and at at the same time, I I did know it was foster care. And I had tried, I put a lot of work into preparing my heart for reunification, because I knew that was like really important. And I developed a pretty good relationship with her, her biological family, you know, I'd take pictures of them at the visits and develop it for them. And I would even drive them to appointments. And we, we, you know, talked a lot on messenger and we we really did establish a pretty good relationship with them. And at one point when she was about two months old, her, her biological sister's foster family requested to have her moved to their home. They had a nursery prepared for her. They was thought they would get her. The county hadn't wanted to put two medically needy babies into one home. But since they wanted her, they were going to move her. And I had packed up all of her things, you know, wrote her all the letters, did the photo books, had everything packed up. And the, the day before... I was going to deliver her to them. They called and said, you know, when we saw her with you and you with her, like how much love you have, we, we can't disrupt this placement. And so she'll get to stay with you through the rest of her stay in foster care. So that was, mm. I don't know, an emotional roller coaster right there. And mm. then, you know, as foster care goes, there's a lot of extensions and um, parents weren't quite following the plan. And at one point they got pregnant and wanted to sign rights to us. We were so excited, but then they miscarried and changed their minds. And um, it went on for well over a year until the the county finally had enough to take to court for TPR. And so we had that hearing and those are not fun to sit through. Like we we were like so excited to move one step closer to adoption because after you've had this baby for over a year, like all of that good intention for unification, I felt like kind of went away for me. It's like, "Mm, I've been here through all the hard nights. And I know they can't do that. And I'm really rooting to keep her at this point, right? And watching them fall apart, you know, when they lose their rights, that is, mm. that is always just really devastating. Mm-hmm. But 
Then there was kind of a delay because they had lost birth certificate and um, that delayed the adoption. But at about 18, when she was about 18 months old, we, we finalized her adoption and we changed her first, first name, kind of reminiscent of her original name, and we kept her middle name. So she is our Rhea Lee, and I still think she's perfect. <laughs> Aw. Now, I have a question. Was your husband like, hey, you're spending all the time with a baby, and there's all this wheat and soybeans that need <laughs> our attention? What did he do without right. you? Okay, so luckily she came at the tail end of soybean harvest. So I missed only about four days of combining. So that that helped. That helped. I was there for the bulk of it. And so he didn't he didn't miss me too much in the field, you know, and I, I think he could see how content I was having the baby and it wasn't gonna get busy again until later and actually the next year when we had when I had to go to the field, my mom actually watched her for me while I went out to the field. So I did get in on combining the next year. Okay. And was he as in love with the baby as you are? You know, he, he said he stayed emotionally distant for a long time. I remember the first thing he told me, it, it was coming up on a year, you know, of trying to reunify. And he said, you know, we've been through a lot with her and it would just be really nice to be able to watch her take her first steps. And I remember that was like a big thing for him. He's like, I just want to like, he's like, if I can see her walk, I'll, I'll know she'll be okay. You know, like, I just want to see her take those first steps. Um, I think by the time we were past her first birthday, though, like, he he was, it, it, she was very much his daughter, you know, and he said that, you know, he couldn't be more proud to be her dad than you know, had he, you know, had she been biologically ours or whatever, he's like, I'm very proud to have her as a daughter. And Aww. so they're very close now. <laughs> like she adores her dad. So was she hitting every milestone? You know, as far as motor skills, she was doing pretty well. Um, her delays come more in the form of she's got a pretty significant speech delay and then like some learning delays maybe. Um, and then just more of like all the hyperactivity and the sensory seeking, um, the appointments we've had recently, it's, it's very much unknown. You know, there's no clear diagnoses or anything. It's just like, well, there's genetic things that we don't really know how it's going to pan out until she's older and getting more into school age. And then we kind of have to go from there. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of a wait and see is what I have been hearing a lot from the people we've been taking her to. Tell our listeners what you mean by sensory seeking? Um, so sensory seeking, um, what it looks like for her is even as a baby, like she would just dump water right on her face. You know, she would jump off things to hit the ground. She is chewing on things constantly. She wants to be tickled like all throughout the day. She wants to feel on her body and she wants to hear and she wants to see and she wants to be going a hundred miles an hour. Um, she's just, she wakes up running and she runs all day. She just needs that input, like that sensory input. And so she creates it for herself or she's always looking for it. And she gets very frustrated if she doesn't have, have that. So when she does get frustrated or angry, you know, she does something very physical. When she was little, she would bang her head. Now, I mean, we're working with a lot of techniques like hand squeezing or even hitting the floor with your hands, you know, whatever you need to do. Um, she's learning to control it. So proud of her. She's really working on the breathing and, and all of the things, but she needs like a physical outlet 
to disperse that frustration. And tell us what you did in your basement for her. We actually built a jungle gym in our basement. Our basement's unfinished and winters are long in North Dakota and the children can't like play for hours outside. And so we, we built like the tower and the slide and the gymnastics ring and the rock climbing wall and, you know, cargo nets, like the whole shebang we put down there. And, you know, that really beefed her up. She is now freakishly strong. (laughs) She does her little (laughs) workouts down there every day, but there's swings and stuff down there. And, Sometimes when she just needs a moment, she'll go down and she'll just swing. And it's really been a lifesaver. We don't have a very big house and I feel like it'd be destroyed if we didn't have a place for her to just go down and go crazy. That is so amazing. I just, I love that. I love that you just worked it out so that she could have what she needs, you know, and recognizing that this isn't going to go away. She needs somewhere to swing, somewhere to climb. I mean, we have also a child with sensory seeking just uh, tendencies and she needs to be outside running around (laughs) and she needs Mm -hmm. it. And the more we were like, Hey, calm down. I I used to want to invent a pedal for the car so that she could be almost like riding a bike because she'll kick the seat over and over and over. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, stop kicking. But what if we had a pedal right there? So she could be like, riding but not you know right. going anywhere isn't that genius i know maybe that's I should, a really uh, good idea actually yes but things like that you know things that help her and knowing that she needs that and making a space for her is is just amazing so how long well first of all how old is she right now she's five five and a half okay and how long did you wait before you pursued the next adoption So we were still trying to get pregnant through her entire foster care journey. And we weren't getting calls from the county for any other babies. And we had decided, well, maybe we'll just go see a fertility specialist. And once you know it, I tested positive for pregnancy a week before my appointment. And we were so excited about that. Um, We actually lost that pregnancy right after Rhea's adoption. And so that was really devastating. I was very frustrated. My husband said, well, let's just go back to the fertility specialist. I didn't really want to, but what we decided to do is just hit it kind of on all fronts. We, we didn't really care where our next child was coming from. We just wanted to open up all avenues. So we actually signed up to do private infant adoption. We decided to do an IUI and we kept calling the county, letting them know that we would take foster placements. And so that summer, the summer of 2018, you know, pretty hopeful. One of these things are going to pan out, right? Um, And then we kind of just slowly watched them all crumble. The Mm. county wouldn't call us back. Our IUI failed. And I was really struggling with the letter to the expectant mother that goes on your profile book for private infant. And I was sitting there and stressing out about this. And I can't even explain why, but for some reason, I just felt like this isn't for us, which made no sense. That was our last avenue. Like it made no sense for me to feel like that. But I'm like, I I don't know what to say. I I, I just, I feel overwhelmed by this. I don't think we're supposed to do this. And I called the agency and I said, can you give our training spot? Because our training had come up in October. We were supposed to go get our training. I said, can you give that spot to the next couple? I said, "I, I, I just, I'm not feeling this right now. And so she said she would. And then, then we just kind of sat there and I, and I, it felt a little bit hopeless for a little while. And I remember praying to God and just saying, you know, you don't have to give me another baby. And 
I would just like to know the reason why I've had these miscarriages and why the IUI failed and why we're not getting a call. Like, I, you don't have to tell me now, but if at some point in the future, if I could just understand what the reason is, you know, I would be so grateful to just know that would bring me some peace. And um, then in October, we had the memorial and burial service for um, our daughter that we had lost through the miscarriage. The hospital puts on this lovely memorial and burial service for all the babies lost that year. And that was really beautiful and sweet and sad and all of that. And that was on the 15th of October. And on the 17th of October, I had a friend, an old friend, call me out of the blue and just tell me, I know you're trying to get pregnant. And I just want you to know that after 14 years of trying, I'm finally pregnant. And it's going. it happened for me and it's going to happen for you. And she was just trying to encourage me. And that was really sweet. <laughs> and it was encouraging. And then on the 18th, which was the first day of soybean harvest, the day we were supposed to be three and a half hours away at our private infant adoption training, I was drying dishes at like 9 a.m. And the thought just came to me out of the blue, like, it's not going to happen for me. I'm not going to get pregnant because the next person to join our family is already out there. Hmm. And it was a very clear thought. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is prophetic. I'm just going to write this down <laughs> so that when this comes true, that I can remember that I had this thought before it happened. And I didn't get a chance to write it down before I got a call at 930. And the gal said, we have a two-day-old baby girl who was surrendered for safe haven yesterday. The goal is adoption. You're the only family in the region that has an active foster care license and a recent adoption home study. So if you want her, you can just come get her. And like, that about knocks you over. Like it was the answer, the healing, the, mm -hmm. the like just the everything right there. The adrenaline rush that came with that call was just like, this can't be real. This is like baby on a doorstep. Like this is just what mm -hmm. you, you never think this is going to happen to you. And then just here's the baby. Like we were supposed to be sitting in private infant adoption training three and a half hours away and we're, we're getting a baby now, you know? And so, yeah, I, I drove to Bismarck and by noon we were a family of four. She was just angelic looking like it, it really was so surreal that it took me a few days to actually process that because it's like, she was baby girl Jane Doe, just mysteriously left here, and they gave her to us, and they said the adoption should go quickly, and, you know, congratulations. <laughs> and wow. it, was, it was it was really unreal and at that moment. you were prophetic. I totally right? foresaw this. <laughs> right, right. Well, it really was just such an answer to prayer, because all I had asked for was, like, a reason why did these things happen in the order that they did, and it's like... That was your answer. Especially with why did I call off private infant? There was no yeah. reason for that. I had that strong feeling to do so. And we wouldn't have, I mean, not, they maybe would have still held her for us till we got back. But I mean, it's not cool to walk out of training at private infant in front of all these other hopeful couples to go get your baby at the hospital, you know? Right. So, yeah. That is so amazing. And you know what's really cool is in the next couple episodes, we have a lady who's coming on to speak specifically about safe haven and i had never heard of really? it before i talked to her and then you brought it up also explain just a little bit it's when a baby is at like a fire station or police station yes it's so it's it's in north dakota the law is up to a year old a mother can surrender her baby for safe haven she may remain completely anonymous there will be 
no follow-up from the county, no charges pressed, nothing like that. She's just surrendering her baby to the state for safe haven. These are mothers that are either in difficult situations or for reason, no, they can't parent, nor can they make an adoption plan. And so the county provides, or the state provides for that, which is wonderful. You know, so they have like drop boxes in certain states, like little safe haven baby drop off, drop boxes. And so this baby, our baby was taken to the hospital, usually like churches, fire stations, police stations, hospitals, you know, most states will recognize those as safe haven so that you don't get charged with abandonment basically mm-hmm. is what that protects against. And in our case, the issue arose that the hospital had accidentally put the mother's name on the baby's birth certificate, which vetoes her safe haven status. Oh, no. So we actually got tied up in court for over two years (gasps) with them trying to decide what to do with this, because if they would reach out to mom to go through like whatever process we could blow like some, like she, she did this for a reason and this would go against her wishes and possibly put her in danger. However, does who has the jurisdiction to change a juvenile record like that? And there had been some new law changes. They were trying to set precedent with this case. We don't get a lot of safe haven babies up here. And so it ended up being a long time at all of her doctor appointments. You know, they would call baby girl Jane Doe, and I'd have to, like, walk my two-year-old <laughs> into the no room, way. you know. Uh, yes, yes. My husband always said, if we could get a name for her before she starts preschool, that would be awesome. Oh, my goodness. So I was just talking about this because they put baby boy on AJ's birth certificate, and that's how we were trying to get a Social Security card. And they're like, we cannot give okay. you a Social Security card with baby boy. I'm sorry. So baby then we boy, had to do the same yeah. thing. We, and we went all the way up to the head of adoptions to try to figure it out. It's like the paperwork can sometimes just make you feel like you want to go crazy. Oh, it's so long. And then COVID had hit. So there was a lot of delays due to that, I think, too. You know, everything just slugged up and slowed down, you know, so... It was a process, but we finally got the date for her adoption, and it happened to be on my birthday, which was very special. Aww. Yeah, and we did that via Zoom, which was a little anticlimactic for the long journey waiting for this day. But um, she is three now, and her name is Tamron Blake. And um, gosh, she's just a gorgeous girl. Very precocious, very, um, very, very sassy a little bit. She has a very large vocabulary and just stuns me on a daily basis with the words she decides to use. <laughs> and Aww. somehow her and Rhea, they communicate just fine. Rhea, Rhea, she came to us three days before Rhea's birthday, her second birthday, and Rhea thought that we got her a real baby for her birthday. Aww. And she, she definitely <laughs> um, bonded with her sister very quickly. I love that so much. It sounds like we're, she is strong. That's where Rhea is weak and vice versa. Yes. And they kind of help each other. They complement each other. They Aww. really do. They complement each other very well. Yes. And we're still, um, we got a great relationship with Rhea's biological sister and her now adoptive family. Um, we, we talk to them oh, multiple times a week. They've been a huge support for us just through foster care and navigating some of Rhea's needs. And it's like we... We got another extended family, and we still see Rhea's biological family. Um, it was a little bit challenging for me to process emotionally not having a biological family for Tamron because I knew she would grow up watching her sister have all of these 
other relationships that she didn't have. So we're still kind of, I'm still navigating that in my heart, you know, so that I can, you know, present this to her in the right way, you know. Yeah. And we talked about that too, just being honest and when's the right time to be honest and how much information do you say and, you know, how much do they want to hear and all of that stuff really does work itself out though. You do say the right thing or you start and then you're like, yeah, right. I remember one time and I said this in a podcast before, but I was like, I'm going to talk to the kids today about their stories. And I sat them down and I was like, hey, I want to tell you guys about your adoption stories. And Noah's like, seriously, like we're cooking dinner. And I'm like, yeah, this is the time I'm going to do it. And it was like awkward. And I couldn't, I mean, I didn't even get the stories out and they were looking at me like, we don't even really want to hear about this. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I just made that happen and that was not natural. So I'm just going to wait for it to naturally come up, but I'm ready. I just want to let you guys know I'm ready. You know, and I think that that's really the whole thing is that you're ready for those questions and that you're open and that you don't force it like I did. You're right. going to be a great mom. It's uncharted. Me. Just learn from me, everybody. I'll make all the mistakes. I've got resilient kids. And then it you can say, a lot okay, of trial and error. Don't do that. It is. It is. Yes. And you love them so much and so, so differently. And I'm even thinking about how the two of them are so different and how I have, you know, three girls and one is sensory seeking. So like I could throw her up in the air, toss her around. She loves rough play. And I'm talking really rough. I just love that they're so different. Yes. Yes. You have to learn a different parenting style for each one and learn. You're just always having to learn, you know, and educate yourself and figure out what to do as each new thing arises, you know, how to deal with this and deal with that. And you grow a lot as a person and you get better at it as you go too. You do. You really do. So if you're listening and you're like, I don't, I'm just starting the journey. You will learn and grow. You will get an adoption community of people that will help you and talk about, you know, what they've done to try to help their child or doctors or all the things. I believe that with my whole heart is that the answers always come. Yes, they do. They do. My husband always said it's going to work out how it's supposed to work out. And that seems like such a huge like step of faith to believe that. But for us, it felt like it, it really did, you know, and you got to learn to be patient and, you know, deal with unexpected things and be in limbo. And um, th- there's a lot of things you end up really loving about the, the process and the adventure that you didn't think you would, you know, and Yes, or that you thought it really is very beautiful would be terrible. Like if I went through this, I don't think I could do it. And then you're going through it and you're like, wow, that was the very thing that made me grow the very most. And it's my favorite part of the story. You know, it's just like you're a lot stronger than you think you are or even wiser. And God takes you through and he takes care of you because you are also his child. Right. He's helping you with these children, but you're also his daughter. And so he wants to help you through that and never forget that is I'm also a daughter. And when my kids ask me for something, I will do anything for them. And the same with us, with God is when I ask God for something, he loves me that much that he's going to answer me. He's going to help me. He has never left this whole process up in the air. He's always been there. Mm, That's so true. Yes. I appreciate you writing in your story. I love the dynamic of your farm. I love your heart. I love that God gave you children right at the perfect time for you and that they're little farmers too. I'm going to post this picture. It's so darling. Do yes, you think you'll yes, adopt they more? Yes, they are little farmers. 
Uh, yeah, we are um, hoping to add a third. And again, it's going to be just whatever avenue um, opens up to us right now. Um, we are not currently licensed just due to the size of our house. They, We have a two-bedroom house, and we need to add on before they're going to um, license the house. However, Rhea's mother is expecting again, and I know we will get a call should that baby be removed, and they'll probably make a special exception since it's blood. And so we have mm-hmm. maybe that decision um, coming up. So that's a ways out yet, though, so we will we will kind of see. Um, but no, I we would love to adopt again. Um, our kids are such blessings. They're just oh, so inspiring watching them overcome things. And mm-hmm. it it turns out so well. I don't know. Like you always say, totally worth it. Totally worth it. Thank you so much for coming on. You'll have to come back on and keep us in the loop. I will. Thank you so much, April. It's really been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. We'd love for you to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on your adoption show. See you next week.